What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease here with my friend and co-host Richard Harris for yet another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. We are here with one of our favorite people. This guy is full of energy, full of life, full of positivity, and he, we just sprung it on him, but we just hired him to be our hype man and, and perhaps record a, a, a pre-roll, as they say in the game, for us. We're here with storyteller extraordinaire and director of collegiate sales at Teamworks, as well as brand ambassador for RepView, Larry Long Jr. from Raleigh, North Carolina. What's going on, Larry? What's going on, Scott? What's going on, Richard? Like I told y'all before, I'm, I'm privileged to be here with two legends of the game. I don't know how I snuck in, but if I keep my eyes closed and I don't smile, they say I'm rolling incognito, so you can't see me, but I'm here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think we have to ask a question. We could just hand the mic over and let Larry roll for an hour. We could, go, on, we could like, go take a break. We should do that. We'll go get a cocktail and we'll just let him rant. Larry rants for 45 minutes. I would listen to that for sure. Uh, totally agree. Larry, uh, Larry, for context, Larry, tell everybody about the, the ventures and the endeavors that you're in right now so people have context for, you know, the work you do, the type of sales environment you're in, and that type of thing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, first of all, I don't know how to surf. I barely know how to swim. You know, brothers, scared of the water. No, I'm just kidding. I used to be on the swim team. But director of collegiate sales, I've got 13 reps on my team, got six direct reports. We sell a communication software platform to elite athletic teams. Uh, so for us, we're focused on Division One, Power Five, Group of Five, uh, departments, athletic departments, teams. We normally start with football men's basketball, women's basketball, the revenue generating sports, and then we're able to expand. It's kind of a, a land and expand uh, into the entire department. So, uh, so Richard, you'll be happy to know that we're working to get the, uh, the Wildcats. Scott, we're working to get Arizona State, the Sun Devils. Uh, the Pac-12 is our weakest. We're, I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, the Dirty D. Uh, we have a huge East Coast presence but we're trying to expand out to the West, get that Pac-12 and some of those other California. Here's, uh, here's, here's a sales development tip for you, Larry. You got to tap into the uh, North Carolina connection with Bobby Hurley, who's our basketball coach now. And uh, so, so true, yeah. so true. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but that's, that's what I do at Teamworks. I love it. I played baseball at University of Maryland. Go Terps. My father ran track for the Terps. My sister, she's 10 years younger. She ran track at the Terps. I'm the black sheep of the family, literally and figuratively playing baseball. They're like, baseball? What's that? <laughs> so, so I'm really at the intersection of all my loves. I'm, I'm a tech geek. I, I love technology. I'm a sports fanatic, and uh, I love to lead teams. I mean, I used to own an indoor baseball, softball training facility. I mm. love teaching folks and helping them take their respective game to that next level. In, in addition to Teamworks, which makes the dream work, I'm also an advisor and a brand ambassador is the official title of RepView. And I love that because we're helping sales professionals understand and get an inside, under the cover, under the hood view of sales organizations. So many times we see in sales, uh, there's mis, uh, misfits. And not just the people are misfits, but there's misfits between the sales pro and the sales org. And uh, that can be not solved, but we're really trying to help that issue where if I'm a sales professional, 
and my priorities are how much can I make? Uh, and I don't care about the culture. I don't care about the product market fit, but I just want to maximize my earnings. There are certain organizations that I do not want to uh, engage with, and I, it's probably not a good fit for me to go to. So we're able to capture data uh, from current reps uh, as well as former reps to understand is the company strong around culture and training, product market fit, uh, compensation, both base as well as variable comp, what percentage of people are hitting quota. Uh, we're about to add in diversity and, and, and equality, uh, how the company does, and it's really data-driven so that sales professionals get that inside view. We all know when we go on that sales interview, it's all about gimme, gimme, gimme. How, how often have you hit your quota? What do you bring to our team? And the, the salesperson that's interviewing us is a sales pro, so they're gonna sell us on how great their organization is. Well, nah, I want the real deal inside scoop and inside story into your org straight from the mouth of your current reps and past reps so I can get that real deal Holyfield view into your org. In addition to that, I'm launching, I'm launching, I'm sorry, Rich, I'm gonna give you the money. I'm trying I'm to jump in, man. I'm also launching uh, Larry Long Jr. LLC. Uh, it's a keynote speaking, motivation, inspiration, sales coaching, sales training, uh, helping sales professionals and non-sales professionals take their respective game to the next level. And as if I didn't have enough balls that I'm juggling, I'm, I'm a master juggler. I know some magic tricks. Uh, I'm also an angel investor, a growth investor. Uh, my uh, portfolio isn't as deep as you, Richard. I had to take out the scroll to look at all the uh, all the advisory positions you've had, but I'm trying to catch up. Right now, I've got 13 companies in my portfolio, and it's awesome just to be able to put my money uh, where my mouth is. And I've been blessed. I worked for a startup that I uh, had an exit. Uh, they wrote me a check, and I said, wow, what, what an opportunity to be able to uh, help financially as well as sharing knowledge to help uh, great entrepreneurs, great founders take their companies to that next level. So that, that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's cool. So, so I want to come back to what you were talking about, right? I, I love this part about the misfits, right? So um, aside from hiring you, which we would want people to do, if I'm a sales leader listening to this, or I'm a sales rep, what are the misfits, right? Like, I feel like sometimes these are things that people kind of know, but until someone points it out in their mind, they go, oh, that, yeah, that's me. So what are some of those things we should be looking at as, as you're coaching an individual or an organization on those finding and correcting those fits? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a story. As my shirt says, storyteller, story seller. I worked for a company, Sageworks, that had the exit, making 150 calls to CPAs and accountants. If I had known that I was going to get beat over my head over and over and I got to wear my bulletproof vest to work, I probably would have taken a U-turn, but... I'm kind of crazy in the mind, so that kind of got me excited. But being in that position, hiring folks, we would hire teams, uh, essentially um, cohorts of 40, and at the end of two months, we've got four people left. That's not efficient. That's not effective for anyone. The organization, we're losing money, we're losing time and resource, and for the reps that come through, we told them that it's 150 calls, but we didn't really share how difficult that was. And that happens over and over and over again. I've worked for startups, mid-sized companies, large companies. Really, it's about aligning what the company is about and what that day-to-day -day life looks like with what the sales rep is looking for. Like I said, for some reps, they care about the culture. They care about the training. Other reps, they, they could care less about that. They want to know, how can I maximize my uh, compensation? How can I make 
250. And you tell me that I can make 250, but show me. Uh, who's making 250? What so percentage you, of your team is, is actually hitting that, hitting that quote and making that number? What's the, so let, let's talk about that for a second. So, you know, you've got a culture of 150, right? And we've seen this before. Um, in, in certain business, right? Like if, you know, if I'm working at a Yelp or something like that, I can, I can appreciate that that might be a realistic expectation if I have the data and the technology. But to your point, maybe you didn't tell the story the right way. So if you are driving that high velocity approach, how do you tell that story to say, look, Larry, this is going to be a grind. You're going to hate this for a while until you get to X. And, and conversely, if it's, hey, look, this is an 18 to 24 month sales cycle. It's going to be a different kind of grind, but it's just as painful. How do you start to do that to either make sure people lean in and embrace the culture or even better, weed themselves out because everybody knows it's not the right fit? Yeah, it really start, it starts through the interview process. And I believe that the interview process is a two-way street. It's not a one-way. So often what, what I've seen, and this is just my experience, we go through the interview process. Hey, Larry, we've got three minutes left. What questions do you have for me? Come on now. And, and I mean, that's really where the interviewee has to flip the script and say, you know what, Scott, you know what, Richard, this has been awesome, but I've got a lot of questions. Uh, just like you're interviewing me for fit, I have to interview you for fit because this has got to work for both of us. It's just like sales. And I'll, I'm not sure. I've listened to a couple of your episodes. I'm not sure your definitions of sales, but for me, it's matchmaker. You're, you're matching your products and or services and or thoughts or ideas with someone else's needs, wants, desires, challenges, hopes, dreams, and aspirations. And if you're able to make that fit, we're in business, baby, we're selling. It's the same thing in the interview process. What are my needs, my wants, my desires, hopes, dreams, aspirations, and what does your organization bring? And, and so often, Richard, what, we, what I've seen personally is that there's a, a misfit. That just, there's a misalignment. The communication uh, wasn't shared openly because you got sales professionals that are going to paint their organization in a certain picture that might not be the real deal. And that's why we're going to ask the sales reps, both past and present, what is it like? What, what, is, what is the sales org strong? Uh, are they strong on the training? Are they strong on the product market fit? Is the product off the chain? Uh, is there inbound lead flow or do I have to go outbound 100% so that now I can make the best decision for my sales career? I don't need to rely on that, 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 that fluff. Yeah. Oh, we, we have a free lunch and we do free dinner two times a week. So well, what? So who cares? I don't care about that. So many, so many people, I think, don't push back and assert themselves and ask these kind of questions, presumably because they're coming from a place of weakness and scarcity and fear because maybe they don't have a job and they're like, you know, they really, really need this or really want this. And they, they're worried that if they push back that it'll spoil their chances or ruin their chances. What do you, what do you tell somebody like that? Right? Like Richard and I have had this debate and conversation before about how to interview and like, just like you, we're really passionate about turning it around and flipping it around on people. Like, if I could just interview places as a career, and same with Richard, like we would do that all day long. We, we love all that. But we're not the same as other people. True. What do you tell these people who 
really need a job, like desperately need a job. How do you coach them to push back and ask these tough questions and have that level of confidence? That, that's a great question, Scott. And there's that balance because I've been there before. I've got obligations. I got a beautiful wife and two kids and you got to do what you got to do. And I've done what I've had to do before. I've been in places where it wasn't a fit and I'm just there to take care of my business until I can find my next stop. You can check the Carfax, look at my resume. I've had 10 different stops. I can't tell you that all 10, I'd be lying if I said all 10 of those stops were the right fit for, for me. They weren't. But essentially, if you're in a position where you don't have to take the next, the next thing that pops up, if you have some runway and you've been uh, fortunate enough to have savings and to have some time yeah, to find no that best at that point. There's no excuse if you've got if you've got those things. Yes. Now, if you don't, I mean, I'm not going to tell anyone, hey, sacrifice a paycheck so that you can find that best fit. What I'm going to advise is, hey, find the first available that's good enough, and then do what you got to do. You got to work. You got to work behind the scenes and, then, and find that right fit. And then keep searching. Just keep to keep the doors open. This is a dirty little dirty little secret that people don't you know want to talk about, but like. Look, sometimes you got to take a gig to pay the bills, even if you know it's the not, not the right fit, right? You don't have to put that thing on your resume long term. Just do what you got to do to survive today, right? Survive in advance, as your boy in North Carolina, Valvano, used to say, right? <laughs> That's the name of the game. And in today's environment with the pandemic, with the protests, I mean, the, uh, the, 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 the killer hornets, whatever it is, survive in advance is the motto for so many of us. But I had to do, I mean, that's how Scott and I met. Like it was 2008. I went from a VP title down to a sales manager title from, you know, a six figure salary to 50,000 base, no health insurance, but I didn't want a hole in my resume. Yeah. That's how we met. He thought and, he, know, thought he was forward. just going to use me and move on. And I just roped him in and held on. Right. Well, Scott's good at that, but, but that's okay too. Cause I know that Scott, I mean, he, if I had left three months later, he probably would have written me off cause he was a different he was a different human being then. Um, well, I might write he was in now too. I, would, I might still do that to somebody. Yeah. So, but, uh, but that's what you do sometimes. And everything leads you somewhere, right? So every true. place, every place you go takes you somewhere else. So, and, and, and I've been and having it's, a, it's an awesome opportunity to learn. I looked through my career and there were certain key learnings. There were certain key relationships that I made at every spot that really have contributed. I mean, it, it's contributed. I mean, there, there's a saying that it's not what you know, and it's not even who you know. I'm going to double click. This came from my man, Stu, Steve Nudelberg in Florida. He said, it's who knows you and who trusts you and who believes in you that makes stuff happen. And I, I love it. I mean, he also talks about the difference between contacts and contracts being the letter R. And that letter R is relationships genuine relationships that it's not just superficial i know that scott you were talking about the relationship that you're building with my man andre mcbride uh that, that's phenomenal right there that's really what makes stuff happen so i mean every every situation you should be wanna, looking at I wanna, what can i learn from this opportunity i want to touch on one of these situations because i think it's something that almost everybody in sales right now would love to go through and you mentioned it before and that's an exit it doesn't happen to everybody and we certainly don't hear very many stories about it i think so what can you tell us in the audience about 
what it was like to go through that, that sale of, of Sageworks and, and what happened next? Like, what was it like being at the acquiring company? What changed? Did it all go to hell? Was it great and you were able to hang out? What was that like? Well, well, what happened? I haven't been at the company for 14 years. So I, 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 um, I started my career at Accenture. I opened up a baseball academy. We ran out of cash because the numbers that we knew were RBIs, stolen bases, base hits, batting averages, and not the income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow. It was actually, I was in that mode of, I had to take the first job available. Sageworks was hiring a lot of Duke athletes. I snuck in as a Maryland Terrapin, a twerp, and uh, I was banging 150 calls. Uh, I had the opportunity to get promoted, move to marketing, move to training, sales leadership, and essentially spent two years there and when I left, I exercised, I bought my stock options. And thankfully, Brian Hamilton, if you're out there, thank you, Brian. He doubled my options, wrote me a nice handwritten note. And essentially, that blessing of him doubling my options, 14 years later, it, it, it amounted to a good amount of money. It wasn't get rich, FU money, but essentially, I built a house here in Durham. My, house, my, my family and I, we've been blessed. And I've had the opportunity to invest uh, serious money into a startup. So it was really a surprise. When, when uh, I got the call and I got the letter in the mail, I said, wow, that piece of paper that's been in my file cabinet. It fell, it fell from the sky. <laughs> that paper turned to real paper. I said, oh, Lord, miracles uh, do happen. Then Kevin Garnett said it best, anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, Larry, I want you to take off your shyness. And I really want you to let yourself out for the rest of this conversation because I'm tired of behaving back. I apologize. It's late in the day. It's 4.30 here in good old Durham, North Kakalaki. So I, uh, I, I need a Red Bull. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, so, so, I, so I have a question. So you're, you, know, you are what I call the professional athlete, right? You are, you are a professional collegiate athlete at a tier one school, had – all the things that you know to your disposal in terms of health and nutrition and working out and coaches and all that kind of stuff did you go through the draft process and I, where i'm going is when did you realize sports was not going to be it because i think it's a tough decision for athletes but I also think it's a, it's tough a horrible, decision it's not a tough decision. It's a horrible decision that we all face at some point. It's right. worse than tough. Yes. And, and I don't, and I'm not that person, right? I'm not. And so I'm, I'm curious about the mindset, right? Because you can hear about how this stuff can really get someone down. And if you've, because I, I'm willing to bet it was way more than what you did in college. It was way more than what you did in high school, right? Like this has been going on a long time. How, how did you, how did you have to swallow that very bitter pill? Yeah, that transition from, from uh, for, for life after sport is tough. So four-year starter at Maryland, thought I was going to get drafted, doesn't everybody. June came around, 2000. I'm sitting by the phone. No one called. I said, uh-oh. The June draft came and went. I said, oh, I'm in trouble. So I had a job offer for Accenture. Uh, that was exciting, but I wanted to be a pro baseball player. So I went to tryout camps for the minor leagues. I went to independent league tryout camps. I didn't get any offers. And I said, oh, wow, this is the end. I played my last game in Fort Mill, South Carolina, just across the border from Charlotte. And uh, I said, oh, off the work I go. 
Now I'm in Morgantown, West Virginia. Uh, my client is Verizon. I'm working at Accenture doing IT consulting. I'm working out like a beast. I'm eating right, which is tough for me. Cause I mean, you ask me what time it is. It's always bow time. I love fried chicken, but I was actually following a pretty strict diet. That, that itch, I just couldn't get it away. That itch was still there. And I said, I told Accenture, hey, uh, this was in February. I said, I'm gonna take some time away. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it one more shot. I went to minor league spring training with the Dodgers and the Red Sox down in Florida. Vero Beach, I think on the east coast of Florida, they told me hit the road chat. That was uh, Dodgerville. I took my behind on, on over across Fort Myers area with uh, the, the Boston Red Sox. They said, uh, thank you for coming out. God bless you and good night. You, you can see your way to the door. So I, I swallowed my pride. I tucked my tail in between my legs. I went across and down to Miami, met up with some friends and drowned out my sorrows in spring break. And I was back in the office the next Tuesday. They said, wow, you're back so soon. I said, yes, it's, uh, this ain't a game. This is business. I'm a 22-year-old, 21, 22-year-old, um, good college player. I, got, I had plus speed. I was an average hitter, below average hitter for power. When you look at the five tools, I had an average arm. Eh, you can come a dime a dozen. We can get a 16-year-old out of high school for what you bring to the table. Hey, it is what it is. Now, was it a tough pill to swallow? Yes. Did I shed many tears? Yes. Uh, but did I also keep it moving? Because I realized how blessed and fortunate I was to have a job and a career that paid me well. Uh, I lived at home with my parents in Columbia, Maryland. I was traveling around, uh, expense accounts. Life was good. Why, so was how, did, like, how did you get this? How did you get this sales job? Why, why did you? How did you have this lined up already? And, and was it a, just well? Accenture well, wasn't sales. I was doing IT consulting, and like I said, I, uh, I snuck in. I snuck in there. I don't. I don't know how I did it, but they said, "Wow, this guy is pretty well rounded. He played baseball." I was a team captain. I got pretty good grades. I was involved in student student government, the Black Student Union. I mean, I my, so I mean, I'll give you the background. My father grew up in Baltimore City. If you've ever seen The Wire, that's where he grew up in the projects of Baltimore. Most of his crew ended up either dead or in prison because they were not doing the right thing. My dad's ticket out was long jump and triple jump, and he's a little dude. I'm five foot nothing. My father was five foot seven. And that's rounding up. Shorty Long was his nickname. He passed four and a half years ago, but he taught me that, hey, you've got to realize every day is a blessing. I mean, for him to make it out of Baltimore City in a single family home, he said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that my kids and my family don't have to struggle like me. And when you see that as a young kid growing up, I mean, I was blessed to see my father. I had him in my life for 38 years. I mean, just to be able to see that, it's not what he said. Uh, because he, he did say a lot, but it was what he did that really taught me that you've got a responsibility. And every day he worked for the VA medical centers, uh, serving our veterans for years, recreational therapy, director of recreational therapy. We moved around a lot in different hospitals as he worked to progress his career. Funny thing, his mentor, Dr. Tom Sherwood told him, hey, Shorty, you got this gold tooth. And I know it's a status symbol. He had that since he was like 15 years old. He was proud of it. Uh, but he said, hey, if you want to advance your career in the Department of Veterans Affairs, that gold tooth has got to go because certain people are going to have a perception. And it's not reality, but uh, you've got to let that go. And it's, it's funny how things come full circle. My first investment was in a company called Grippers. It's two former NC State football players, Jamel Eugene and Dewan. 
uh, Dewan Morgan. And, and Jamel, I went to his pitch. It was like an episode of Shark Tank. Tory Holt was there as well. Jamel's got four gold teeth. I said, oh, wow, this is a sign coming from my pops because he knew his, he knew his stuff. I'm going to keep it HR friendly. He knew his stuff inside and out, knew his landed costs, knew exactly what was going on in his business. And essentially, I bought because of him. I bought into the founder uh, money that at the time I hadn't gotten my check from SageWorks. I pretty much went on faith that, hey, there's something that's telling me make this investment. And so far, so good. So that, that's kind of a roundabout circle of how I was able to overcome giving up baseball. And you'll see when I left Accenture, I opened up an indoor baseball softball academy. Once again, combining my love of the game of baseball with my love of helping people and helping kids with life skills through the game of baseball and softball. Who can beat that? And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to bring you out to, to Austin so you can help me coach my my son's team, Larry. We just uh, we there just we just beat the number one team in the state of Texas this weekend, and the, they were ranked number three in the nation. So Ooh, congrats! Shock shock the world, but you know, I need I need an actual professional like you, or at least I can I can show the kids what not to do. I was the uh, I'm a little dude. I thought I was a big dude trying to drop bombs, and my coach is like Larry. You're five foot nine. I mean, I like to round up to six. Close enough. You're five foot nine. You're like Willie Mays Hayes. You, you can't hit bombs, singles, line drives. Come on, dude. But I'm hard-headed. I thought that I could be a big boy. And <laughs> but you, you've been in sales for almost 20-plus years now, Larry? I, I, I've been selling since the age of 10. My, my younger ask, sister, let me Nicole Long, yeah, I, had, I had to sell myself. Gee, yeah. all, everyone wants to pay attention to this cute little baby. I'm like, what about me? I can tap dance. I can do some magic tricks. I've been selling Larry Long Jr. since the age of 10, 32 years. But officially, uh, I started selling, uh, I would say, right when I got my baseball academy. Let me, ask you, let me ask you a question that is, if not already relevant, becoming relevant for people like us. So I'm, I, I turn 43 years old next week. Richard is a little older than me. You're right in the same bucket as, as, as us, somewhere in that range, I presume. What do you think is going on with ageism in sales? I, one of the things that I have noticed in all of my Thursday night sales events is a lot of people who are my age or older have been showing up to these events and they're struggling because they, they lost their, their sales job and they're struggling to kind of, as they frame it, crack into tech, break into tech and break into SaaS and sales and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that for me, my eyes are opening a little more to like, oh shit, this is real. And oh shit, like I'm damn near getting to that age where that's going to happen to me. I'm not that far away. So I, I'd love to hear both of your pers perspective on this and, and what we can do to combat that. How can we, how can we help companies you know take more chances on people who are maybe making the industry shift right now what do you what are your thoughts on that both of you yeah if you don't mind i'll start then i'll pass the mic to, to richard uh I, I believe it happens uh just like uh racial bias happens uh however there's a quote richard ford uh henry ford i'm sorry i got you confused richard uh he said whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't you're right and that comes down to mindset. I, I had a, a coaching and consulting call with a founder earlier today. And he said, Larry, I'm 50 years old. Uh, to expect me to do videos on LinkedIn 
Ugh, ain't gonna happen. And I said, well, if that ain't gonna happen, your business just might not happen because if you don't adapt, you're going to end up like others who haven't adapted, whether that's people, whether that's businesses. So does it happen for sure? I'm not gonna discount that. But can I control my own destiny? I can control the controllables. I can show an organization that you're gonna be missing out on me and the wisdom that I have. Uh, luckily, I, I shaved my hair, but I got gray hairs. Uh, the wisdom that I have in my 42 years on this earth to contribute to this organization. Now, what are you solving for? If you're solving for increased sales, if you're solving for great culture, then bam, I got you and bam, I got you. But if I go in with the mindset of, oh, they're going to look at me, I'm 45, oh, I'm 55, then you're probably going to get that same vibe back and they're going to say, eh, not a culture fit. Yeah. So, you, so you kind of try to take control of the narrative yourself then is one of the ways to combat it. I agree with that. What, Scott, what I, I can go into every interview and say, oh, I'm not going to get the job because I'm black. Eh, that's BS. My, my dad, he, he, and, and I started off my baseball career, one for my first 24. I, I cried. I, I called on my dad on the phone crying. I don't belong in the ACC. I don't belong in Division One. And he pretty much snatched me up through the phone and he had some choice words for me. He was like, that's not how I raised you. And that's not the right mentality that we have. We're fighters. You better take your behind, get back to the drawing board, get on the tee, and you better get your mind right. Because essentially, it's so powerful, the mind, and it's, it's crazy. I'm going to share a quick story, and I'm going to give you the mic, uh, Richard. My father died from uh, amyloidosis. It's a blood disease. And he was up in Boston at a center getting treatment. Uh, this is December 10th. Pops, how you feeling? Best I've ever felt. He passed away December 11th. He didn't feel the best that he ever felt. But I can tell you that the mind is powerful, and for him, it was one of those where I'm going to will myself into feeling in good health, even though my body is failing me. And I share this when I talk about the racial injustices that I've been through. It's happened, but I've made a choice. It's kind of like a coping mechanism where I store it in the back of my head and I lock it, put it under lock and key, never, never for it to be opened again. Well, unfortunately, with what's going on, it's been opened. I guess you call that Pandora's box, and I've had to deal through that. But, but the mind is powerful. Your mind is powerful. My mind is powerful. We can do amazing things. So it's really about that mindset of going in and believing in your heart, believing in your head, and saying it with your mouth that, yes, I can, and yes, I will, and I'm going to make it happen. doesn't matter how many times I strike out, get beat up over the head. I'm still going to make it happen. I, I was just looking up the quote. It was, uh, oh, I can't remember who said it, but uh, success is being able to go from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Try it. So it's interesting because, you know, both of you are, as I said earlier, you're the professional athlete, right? Someone tells you, no, you get back up. I'm not that. I'm, I'm probably the opposite of that, far more passive. Um, I don't like to lose, but I, I probably have not pushed myself as hard as I should. And so I went through this in 2008. I was 39 years old and, you know, I had just bought a house. We just had Riley, lost the job. And, you know, my biggest fear was ageism right? It really was. And, um, and so for me, I had to, first I had to swallow a lot of pride. I had to call a friend of mine who, who I, who had been my rep, um, who's a good friend of Scott's. That's how we met. And I had to swallow a lot of pride to get there. Right. And ask someone who, you know, my ego was, well, I was his VP. How could I ask him for help about a job? That's embarrassing, you know? 
And so I had to check myself. So for me, it was, the, to your point, it was about the mind and a different mental capacity. Um, and, and it, you know, it, it's turned into a blessing in a hundred ways since then. But I felt it early on. Um, I also recognized that I was going to have to take a step back to take a step forward. It wasn't going to be a lateral move, right? And I think that's a hard part for anybody, but it gets frustrating as you get older because you feel like, you know, look, I'm 51. And if I had to go back and take a sales gig, I, you know, I think fortunately enough, I have a name that's good enough to get me into a lot of interviews, but I wonder if people would hire me. Like I really, like it, it is a fear in my head of that. Um, so I think that's a, it's an interesting place. So, so for me, I did have to go through it and I had to control what I control, build the brand, do those things. But I also had to sort of say, I'm going to take this step back and just see where it takes me because it's not even about this step back. It's not even about the next step after that. It's about the one after that. So I was playing chess, right? You have to play a lot more chess is in my opinion. And that's what people have to do. And we have to swallow our pride, right? And there's a lot of value to being the old guy on the team. You get to be the, you know, sort of the wise person, right? The youngsters like that, right? Even your leadership team likes it, right? Because you can kind of go in calmly and say, you know, can I give you just a different opinion? You know, you, you've been through life enough to, to be polite about it, not to do it in front of the group, sort of do it privately. And you can build, rebuild yourself. So I've had to rebuild myself a couple of different times. So, but it's there and it scares, it scares me. It, it, you know, it's, I even see that, you know, now, like, gosh, you know, nine years, I'm 60. Are people going to hire me to do startup training? Like I think about it, it's there, you know, hopefully the brand and the business will be well enough that I've, I've done okay. And that'll get me there, but you know, it, it's still there. So. Larry, you, you mentioned that you've been through some, you know, difficult times and the, the tensions of the racial injustices going on right now have stirred some of that up. If you're comfortable with it, you know, I'd love for you to share a story of how this has affected you and, and, and how you're, you know, pushing through it personally and how you're also trying to elevate the community of folks around you, which I know is something that you're very passionate about. Um, so I'd love to get into some of that stuff if you're if you're okay with it. Yeah, hey, okay. I mean, it is what it was, as my golf buddy says. Just going back through my professional career and instances where I knew what it was, and you don't have to call it out. It doesn't have to be overt. But uh, I've been blessed to be in leadership, sales leadership, and I've had opportunities. I mean, I'll tell you, when I went to Pendo, I was employee number forty. Uh, there were three lead generation reps, two males um, that didn't look like me, one female, and their instant uh, acceptance of me was not very accepting. <laughs> and, and it's not what they said, but it was how they said it. So uh, it's one of those things where you fight through, you deal with it. I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to bring in my own folks and determine that it wasn't a good fit for the other two. The, the young lady continued on. She did a great job, just open mindset to... Uh, a diverse voice, uh, but it's one of those things where I've just had to to go through and unlock the box uh, and sort through what it was and what it is. And um, 
just just keep it moving. It's one of those things where the last thing you want to do is just let it build up. And that's what I've been doing. It's it's been building up, building up because I'm a pretty positive person. And so uh, in now, order to now, what do you do now? Because it's been building up, building up, and it's spilled over, and it's spilled over for for everyone, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm having I'm I'm having conversations with my wife. Uh, yeah. With my, my my brothers, my friends, in in my personal life, my how, golf how buddies, you, my how business. Are you, how are you staying? How are you staying positive and and potentially more and more importantly, because I know what a positive guy you are and how strong your, your mindset is. But how are you helping get other people who are not positive about it at all right now? I, I've got friends who feel hopelessness right now. I got friends who are angry and pissed off and don't want to, I, you know, I've got people who don't want to be positive, right? So how, how are you trying to craft your messages and conversations to, to try to get their, their mind to a little bit different, different place? Not, not take away their pain or their anger or their frustration, but just inspire, right? Yeah, I, I've, I've been through every emotion you just mentioned, I've been through, uh, guilt, because I, I've been for I grew up in a two-person two home. I've had a pretty good career. Uh, I've been blessed, been fortunate. Uh, but we all have choices. When, when, when we all wake up this morning, Scott, we can make a choice. Do I want to be angry? Do I want to harbor just anger and be mad at the world? Or do I want to uh, choose the other route and, 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 and do my part in, in my local community? And local community starts with that person in the mirror. I've had to ask myself, what am I doing? Not what am I saying, not what am I thinking, what am I doing to actually serve my community to make a positive change? And that's action. Uh, I just recently joined the board of a, an organization called Helios here in Durham. Uh, we serve entrepreneurship uh, within black and brown communities, helping them to be able to create uh, a, a sustainable life and supporting them through entrepreneurship uh, that, that they can find a way. Uh, I'm also looking at within Teamworks, how do we change our hiring practices? When you look at the composition of our team, when you look at the composition of our leadership team, uh, I don't know how else to say it, but it's Snow White. Uh, there, there's not much, uh, <laughs> there, there's not much color and diversity, which it is yeah. what it is. That, that's the truth. But what are we doing? What actions are we taking? So for me, I control myself. I have an impact on my wife. My wife's from Argentina, where it's a different racial dynamic. They don't really have the black and white thing. My kids, my son is 10, very impressionable, and he knows what's going on. Kids are smarter than you think, but just really having the communication. And for me, it's having the communication with myself uh, of what am I going to do to impact positive change and not just, it's easy. That's the easy route to just say, I'm mad at the world, I'm angry, nothing's going to change versus taking the hard route of the change starts with me and that man or that woman in the mirror, the change starts within my circle, my family unit, my, my immediate team and work, uh, my immediate circle of friends. That's where the change starts. And what are we going to do collectively? How are we going to hold each other accountable to take an action? Because my fear is we get to December 31st, 2020. And uh, guess what the conversation is? Uh, NFL season, who's going to make the playoffs, uh, how's the NBA looking, and, and, and there's no more Black Lives Matter, there's no more what are we doing to create a more inclusive environment throughout the organization, because in sales, it's, I mean, it, I, I've seen it, 
there's a, I like to call it the country club mentality. There's kind of that pedigree of sales professionals. And when you get the leadership, it becomes even more of a tighter unit. When you get to company leadership, it becomes a, a, a different uh, kind of click. And what are we doing to make change, sustainable change? So, so, you know, so how do you start to change that culture internally at a company, right? I'm, and I'm thinking about listeners, right? I'm thinking about, you know, the people who are, who are me, who, you know, the white male who's been running sales teams and, you know, God, I would love to hire more people of color, but I just don't get the applicants, right? I, they don't come in. So what, what is something we could say, Hey, you know, we understand that perspective, but you're going to have to work harder than that. Like you you're, can't you're in sales. inbounds. You're, you're, you're in sales. Deals don't just come in. We're very intentional with identifying our ICP. We're identifying our outreach strategy. We're identifying what are the channels that we can find. It's, it's not that difficult. We're very creative people. To be in sales, you've got to be a magician. And essentially, I'm black magic. And there's other black magic on the campuses of HBCUs, tons of them. There, there's, there's other at mainstream universities. There's tons of black and brown, male and female, uh, you name it, talent that's just diverse. And it's not necessarily, it's not all about race. It's not all about gender. It's diversity of experiences. I mean, my father brought a unique experience to the Department of Veterans Affairs. He grew up poor. He, he grew up poor. He grew up in an abusive uh, childhood. And he's had, he's had to fight through it. My wife, she's a, uh, an immigrant. She, she came here from Argentina. That, that tells you a lot. She's a risk taker. She's, uh, she, she, she's uh, adaptable and flexible. You tell me in sales that there's not a place for someone who has those traits, or are we really just staying blind and saying, ooh, the applicants aren't coming in? And, and you're absolutely right. You look at the numbers, the applicants aren't coming in. What are we doing to go get it? Like I tell my sales reps, go get it, young fella. Go get it. I don't even go so far as to say, too, like, and, and look, believe me, I'm, I'm absolutely desirous of anyone of any color and by all means we can all connect with the with you know the the um universities the like you said the hbc i don't want to say uh, it historically wrong. black and yeah, uh, sure, yeah, black. Colleges, right. but you know the the beautiful thing too about sales is you don't need a degree right like you don't need a degree to be good at sales well, um, well tell, tell me why so many uh job job uh, descriptions require a four-year degree. It's the dumbest thing we talk. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Like, I've, I, you know, you know, the dumbest thing that that hurts people is just requiring a, a degree. And, it, you know, the belief was and still is, is that, well, they started a big project. They finished a big project. It's like, really? Imagine what the project's like when you can't go to college. Imagine how hard that project is, right? Exactly. You know, how hard is it to make the decision to say, you know what? I'm still going to go make money and not come out in debt. You know, exactly. like there, there's, there's another aspect and that's a great point, Richard. I appreciate you sharing that. It's about uh, education. So, so in, in historically black and brown communities, uh, access, uh, education, being able to see folks that are having success in sales careers. A lot of times you don't know what you don't know. My, my father wasn't, he wasn't able to see, a ton of great examples. He was lucky that Godfrey Moore, who was his mentor, drove a Mercedes Benz and my dad looked up to him. My dad said, I'm, I'm gonna one day drive a Mercedes Benz, which he actually did. But it's just amazing that when you see that and you're exposed to it, that it kind of rubs off on you. I mean, I don't know about you, but plenty of the, the jobs that I've had have come from who I knew. 
who I was exposed to, the circle. I mean, there's a saying that you're the, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, the five people I'm spending the most time with aren't about that life. They're not doing anything positive. Chances are I'm not going to do anything positive. If I'm exposed to, to, to young men, young women, old men, old women that are doing the damn thing, pardon my French, they're successful, they're having success in whatever career it is, I believe that sales is the best daggone profession in the world outside of being a pro baseball player. Uh, I know, Scott, you're a surfer and a soccer yeah. guy. <laughs> Richard, I know you're dunking on people on the basketball court. But essentially, <laughs> it's the best daggone career. We need to make sure there's more exposure that the youngsters in elementary Middle. Dude, I'm, I'm five ten and Jewish. That should tell you all about my my basketball career. Ballin. <laughs> hey, we we're. I don't know how it happened, but we're almost out of time here. This thing just blew. Time flies when you're having fun. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, we try to end every show with a, uh, you know, an offer to to give back or answer any questions that our, our guests might have, or, or just generally, you know, how can we be helpful to you and how can we we serve you? So. Is there anything that we can do for you? Is there anything you want to ask us or anything you want to kind of shout out that you're working on? Man, I, I appreciate it. And you're doing it. I'm, I'm truly passionate about the sales profession, about sales professionals, sales organizations that are doing the right thing. And try, I believe that, that so many people have great hearts. And I want to say thank you to y'all for using your platform uh, for good. Uh, I saw that you had my man Blake Hudson on. That was a great episode. You guys have 100 plus episodes. I just encourage you to continue that. And, and the best way that you can support me is by supporting the sales profession as a whole. If you run across anyone that I can help, uh, whether it's motivation, inspiration, sales, uh, skills, training, coaching, keynote speaking, sales kickoffs, I'm certainly open to help. And that's that, that, that's what, what, what my why is when I wake up. I think Martin Luther King Jr. said it best. Life's most uh, pertinent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And there's another quote. I'm, I'm the, the cliche king, I guess you can say, the, the quote king that talks about no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and the people that we work with, the people, the prospects, the clients, our co coworkers and colleagues, they know they can smell BS from a mile away. I think some people call it commission breath. I call it being a me monster where you don't care about anyone else. Ain't nobody got time for that. But if you truly care about helping and serving others to help them elevate their game, that, that's where the magic really happens. So I just, in closing, I want to say thank you to both you, Richard, to both you, Scott. I, I can't tell you how appreciative I am that you even allowed me up in the building. Nah, you're, you're, you're welcome anytime, man. And uh, we'll certainly do whatever we can to to continue helping you know the profession as a whole and and absolutely i'll encourage people to to head your way and if they could use any of your services i would I, i'd like to, I'd, to help that community and you know i would love to meet more people of color in sales and sales leadership roles right um i do think even further than than african-american but also women um, of people of color because there, we already know there's not enough women. So I can only imagine that from that perspective, because I'd really like to give them a voice, help them as well. And granted, we'll, we'll talk to anybody, obviously, but if you know some people that we don't know, then by all means, please you know, provide us. An I've, I've got a list. And I think, uh, be ready. It's going to, it's going to look, it's okay. going to look like That's your awesome. resume. You want Richard. I'm going to have to pull out the scroll on you. <laughs> That's all right. 
That's we, all right. So I'm going to have to get a new T-shirt that says "Don't have commission breath." Though <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that. That was fantastic. That was great. Thanks a lot, Larry. We appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks.